Hey to all, welcome to the Dev Podcast. I am your host, Carl Thomas. This week we have Nicole Shibo. She's the coordinator of the NDG Echo Quartier and part of the prevention family. One of my favorite moments on this one is where she shares a story about her grandma. I, I can't wait for you guys to listen to this one. It's a great episode. Um, but before we have a quick mailbag, um, like I promised last week, and I would read everything that, uh, that basically got sent to me. So let's start. Why is the podcast called The Depth? Um, first of all, from my perspective, I think every neighborhood has a dépanneur, right? And the term The Depth is, is the terminology that we use in Quebec for corner store. And every neighborhood, like I said, has a corner store or something like a corner store. And, and it's the place where you meet different people. You could meet uh, successful rich lawyer you could meet a community worker like i am um you could meet uh you know like a, a cat lover a dog lover wh whichever you meet all type of different people that come in and out of the depth except here you leave us with a story like that we're able to share it within the community is carl thomas your real name yes it is um i have a middle name but uh I, I go by Carl Thomas. Uh, middle name is Edward. Um, I'm not. I'm not fond of of that middle name, but it's 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 okay. It's Carl Thomas. I go by Carl Thomas, just like the R&B singer, and no relation. Um, why start now? I actually don't really get that question, but uh, I I guess why start the podcast now? I think I think that's what the person meant. Um, I wanted to be able to give people a voice. Um, and with the support of Prevention, Codenege, NDG, and the Tab Jeunesse NDG, the Dep Podcast for me is a place where people could come and leave a trail like that years later, hopefully years later, um, people could still tune in and be like, oh, yes, I remember, um, you know, the community worker from this or the community worker from that or the personal story from this guy or this girl. So it's, it's, it's simply to share the success that people are having in, in their life or, or, or their, their incredible story or future success to be able to have later on in life. I hope that answers the why start now. Oh my God, I did promise I would read them all. Why was your dog in a muzzle? Um, so that question comes only because of my Instagram post. I posted a picture of my dog in a muzzle because we went to the vet. And I just wanted to make sure that um, my, my dog is very anxious sometimes when, when she doesn't know the individual. So I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, she doesn't bite. So I guess that answers the question. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, where is Bob going? Um, Bob is a, is a really close friend of mine. And I posted a story of, with, with the caption of, you know, we're saying goodbye to, to a brother, to, to a Brody. Um, and Bob is leaving three months to, to go to Toronto for work. So in case that people were wondering, um, that's amazing. Um, I got DMs um, asking that question. And I also got an email asking that question. It was public, so it's, it's okay. It's fine. And that's, that's my mailbag. Like I said, I didn't expect a lot of questions. We're, we're a small community podcast. So, yeah. Um, other things you want to know more about prevention Codenege NDG, which, um, is the, the organization that I work for. 
and the people that are providing you this beautiful podcast. Um, we have our AGM on Wednesday, March 27th at 1.30 at the St. Raymond Center, which is located on Upper Lachine. So again, our AGM will be on Wednesday, March 27th at the St. Raymond Center for 1.30. So come, you'll get a chance to meet me. You'll get a chance to meet the incredible prevention team and uh, come support your community, uh, your community people, man. So that would be great. This is my interview with Nicole. She's amazing. She's a go-getter. And you could see he, she brings a lot of energy. Start the pod. Hi, my name is Lynn Worrell. I'm the founder of a community organization called Word, writing our rhymes down. And I am a youth worker at the Calful Jeunesse Emploi of NDG. Hi, my name is Carl Thomas. I'm a community worker for Prevention Codenege NDG. And welcome to The Depth. The Depth, a podcast about community service work in your neighborhood. Welcome to The Depth, Nikki. Thank you so much, Carl. I've been looking forward to it. All right. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. My name is Nikki Schiebel. I am the coordinator of the Echo Quartier NDG, located on Summerled here in NDG. There's so many things happening at the Echo Quartier, but in general, the, they teach people about saving the environment. So we hand out recycling bins, compost bins. We teach people to recycle, to compost. We teach them to save water. We do workshops with children in schools, with seniors, with adult groups. We have green alleys. We have cleanup days. We have flower distributions. We do beautification projects through the neighborhood. We encourage people to reduce their consumption. We do exchanges, things like uh, flower exchanges or book exchanges, jewelry exchanges. So really anything environmental in the city, we try to raise people's consciousness, to give them the tools that they need, and to get people to realize that they need to be implicated in their community. The more that they contribute to the community, the better the whole community does together. Okay, that's a lot of things, Nikki. <laughs> there really are a lot of things. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that is a lot of things. Okay. Um, where do you want to start? Where do you want to... When people think echo, the first thing that comes into their mind would be... I think for most people, it would probably be recycling, because recycling has been in Montreal for 20 plus years now. And okay. each of us has a recycling bin in our home. We've all been told that we need to do this. Some of us aren't sure how to do it properly or why exactly we're doing it, but I think that most people, that's where they start. Here in NDG, I find it really interesting because the population is really varied. It's really on a spectrum, I'd say. So there are people who are really at the beginning and they're recycling and they're feeling good about that, but they haven't really reflected on what else they might be able to do to contribute to the environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas in NDG, we have some very militant environmentalists, which I have to say, I find very interesting in my work because sometimes they challenge me. They come to the office and they'll say, I already compost, I'm already vegan, I already have a rain barrel. What else can I do to save the environment? And so there are NGOs really dedicated wow. and they push, they push the program a little bit further. And as an environmentalist, I love that. I find it challenging, but I find it very exciting too to see that there are people who really, really want to make that difference. Okay. So let, let's, let's bring it back a little bit in what happened to make you become, you know, an environment savvy. Can I say that? What, what happened to, to, 
Was it, was it a thing that you learned? You always had it in you? Was it, you know, did you recycle um, when you were younger? I, I just want to know where did it started. I think I where have. Where did it start? Yeah. I probably have a strange story. Mm -hmm. in my That's what we're here. There we go. Perfect. When I, so in my family, uh, it's a split. Half the family is German. Half the family is French Canadian. Okay. So my father's half of the family is the German half. And they were living in Germany during the Second World War. And as you can imagine, Germany was bombed. Nobody liked Germany anymore. There was no resources. Mm -hmm. So people got very creative as to how they reused things. They didn't throw things out. They really saved things. They repaired things. So that was always a culture in half of my family. But at the same time, there was no services for recycling. Everything was just put in a garbage bag every week, and nobody questioned this. So in my family, if you had a stained T-shirt, I always thought, oh, I'll get a new T-shirt, because that's what the other kids in my class would get. But yeah. my grandmother would say, no, 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 we're not throwing away your T-shirt. We're going to do a little thing to cover it up. So we'll put a patch or an embroidery. So as a child, sometimes I was discouraged because I thought, I want a new t-shirt and my yeah, grandmother's yeah. forcing me to repair this thing I already Reuse have. Reuse the same. Mm -hmm. Reuse, exactly. Um, then other times we would go to the grocery store together, and this is in the 70s, and she would bring her own cloth bag. And I was so embarrassed because <laughs> when you went to the cash, they would say paper or plastic bag. Yeah. And my grandmother would pull out her cloth bag, and I thought, oh my God, you're making yourself look like a person from the old country, what are you doing? This is so embarrassing. I think she was on to something. She was on to something <laughs> years before. Yeah. And since her passing, I have to say, I often say a little prayer to her to thank her for her mentorship that I'm sorry, I was such a brat when I was a child that she really knew what she was talking about. And she had to put up with me and my comments when I was a child. So continues like that. I, I go through my teens, there's no recycling. And then suddenly in my neighborhood, they installed these really big structures in the municipal parking lot, and they called mm -hmm. them the bells. And so people who were really motivated could pack up their glass, their paper, and their tin cans. And, and where was this happening? This was in Verdun. Okay, okay. But it was just in one spot in Verdun. It didn't pass by your house. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to participate in this, you had to be a bit of a keener, and you had to pack up this stuff. And in my case, we never had a car. So you had to walk 10 blocks to bring this stuff. Oh, and then okay. you had to sort it depending on which, which bell that your items would go inside. There was clear glass, brown glass, green glass, paper, metal, etc. Mm -hmm. So it took a little bit of work. It didn't seem like a big deal to me, but I can't say that I was really doing much at the time because that was just a little effort that I was doing. I How also, old were you then? Then I was about 17. Okay. Uh, at the same time, I guess I channeled my grandmother that year, and I sewed myself my first cloth shopping bag. And I used it until it disintegrated 12 yeah. years later. Um, so that was the start. But I still wouldn't have considered myself an environmentalist. I still bought a lot of clothes at the time. I bought mm -hmm. a lot of shoes. I, I you know, threw out all sorts of uh, takeout containers and all sorts of things that I didn't ever think about the concept of recycle or reuse. Okay. Later on, I did a degree in fashion design. And as I was graduating, I was really discouraged because they See, I didn't know that about you. All sorts of things we'll discover fashion. today. Okay, okay. So actually, fashion design was my second CEGEP degree. My first was radio, television, photography, ceramics, mm. which was fun. But um, I always wanted to be a fashion designer. So I thought, I'll go study. I'll go to LaSalle College. 
In my third year, I started to realize that when you dye fabric, um, when you grow cotton, cotton is actually the crop in the world that has the most pesticides, mm. even more than food. Um, what, you know, Again, I did not know that. I, I, think, I think this will be a learning experience for me. Fun. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> um, so I just saw how really consumptive the fashion industry was, and I was really discouraged, and I didn't think that I could be part of that. I didn't think that I could be the person to go to women and say, you're never young enough, you're never skinny enough, your clothes are never up to date enough, spend money. It just wasn't my value system. So I was already working at McGill to finance my studies, and so I just kept working full-time in my job. In and what was your job? My job um, was a secretary in the Department of First Nations and Inuit Education. Okay, really away from fashion. Really away from fashion. So for a couple of years, I was in my job, and I had a very feminist employer. Mm-hmm. My boss was a very, very big feminist. And she said to me, Nikki, I'm not going to watch you rot here as a secretary for the next 30 years. You either go back to university or I'm firing you. Oh, wow. So I panicked because I needed a way to pay my rent. But I understood what she was saying. And my family's a little bit different. I was going to be the first person in my family not to go to university. Even my grandparents went to university. Okay. So it would have been very strange in my family if I hadn't gone. So because I worked in the university, I sat down with the catalogs and I looked through all the programs and I thought about what I might actually like to do as a career. And I decided I wanted to save the cats of Africa. Say that again. I wanted to save the cats of Africa. Save the cats of, of Africa. Africa. Like the lions, the, the tigers, okay, the okay, spotted okay, cats, okay. the big ones. Not the little ones, the big ones. I'm so sorry. I had the picture of small cats in Africa, and I was like, why not the ones in Verdun? There you go. But, exactly. Uh, okay. Okay. The, the big cats of the Africa. The big cats. Okay. So I enrolled in wildlife biology. Mm. Went to McGill, and unfortunately, wildlife biology is not offered downtown. It's offered in St. Anne de Bellevue. It was a trek. But I met people and I was inspired. Okay, you still went into it. Oh, I absolutely went into it. Yes. I I figured I didn't really have a choice Mm because either I'd lose my job and have to go find something else. Yeah. Or I I, I needed to do something with my life. So I figured, well, my boss was probably right. And she was willing to keep me so that I could work part time. Interesting. When I went to school. Very interesting. Yes. Mm. Good woman. Good mentor. Yeah, for sure. So I I did my studies, and as I was doing my studies, I discovered that you don't really save a specific species of animal. What you save is their ecosystem. So you don't Mm. actually save the cats. You save the area where the cats live. Yeah. So the more I realized this, the more I realized that what I really needed to do was to reduce the impact that we have on cats' ecosystems, on the world's ecosystems. And so... Through my studies, I started to divert a little bit more towards, instead of just studying animals, towards studying the ecosystems and how we could do better and how we could make things more safe for, for us and for the animals that live on this planet. This podcast is brought to you by Prevention Code Neige NDG and the Tab Jeunesse NDG. Subscribe now to the Deb Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And please, give us a five-star rating. When I graduated, I was a little bit apprehensive because I was already a mature student. I graduated, I was 30 from university. Mm -hmm. And everybody in my class really wanted to move to the forest and never be seen from again and live in the bush. And I thought, I'm a city girl. I go dancing every weekend. I wear makeup. (laughs) 
I don't know how to go live in the bush. That's not what I want to do. That's not you. It's not me.、Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I thought was very strange was when you move to the bush, then suddenly you need resources in the bush. You need a school, you need a hospital, you need a grocery store, you need a road to get there. And so I thought, that's not very environmental. Why don't I leave the bush to the caribou, to the bears, to the creatures that need it, and、yeah. I'll stay in the city and I'll try and help them from here. So I went back to my job at McGill, having graduated from university, and、uh, I took a year. Just to try and figure out what I wanted to do. My boss was very gentle at this point. Okay. Because she saw that I was working towards a plan. So after a year, I started a master's degree in environmental education because I wanted to learn how people learn. I wanted to learn how I could get into their learning to teach them about the environment. I felt like it was no good if I couldn't communicate with anybody. Because I wanted them to understand what the challenges were. I wanted them to understand how they could change their behavior. I wanted them to understand how they could fit in. So I figured I had to learn how to teach them. Yeah. And I think it was worthwhile. So I ended up with a master's degree in leadership, but the specialty is environmental education. Wow. So、okay. from there, I, was,、uh, I, I did it part time. I kept my job at McGill. And then finally,、um, my job at McGill was disappearing. So I was laid off. And for six months, I was looking at the job ads, and they really weren't very exciting. They weren't things that appealed to me. They weren't my skill set. A lot of the environmental jobs are actually for environmental engineers、mm-hmm. and not really many other environmental jobs. So I was starting to panic. My, my UIC was running out. And then I saw a job posting for the Echo Cartier. And I just thought, this is crazy. This makes no sense. This is my dream job. How is this possible that this even exists? I've never heard of this. I went through university. Nobody ever told me this exists. And、exist. what was the job description? The job description was、uh, teach people about the environment, go into <laughs> schools and give workshops to kids.、Yeah. Um, there was even a link in the job description about fashion and workshops and teaching kids about textiles and the troubles that they cause for the environment and such. And I thought, oh my goodness, come It's on. It's a match. It's a match.、Mm-hmm. So, because I had not applied for a lot of jobs in my life, I was so tense about getting this job. I had to have my dream job. So, I talked to everybody I knew and I said, what's my best strategy? Do I just send it by email? Do I go in? Do I bring my CV in person? I needed this job, so I needed to figure out what my best strategy was.、Yeah. Everybody said, bring your CV in person, which I thought was very interesting because I didn't want to be bothering the people in their office, but I thought, everybody says it. Okay, I'm going to bring、yeah. my CV in person. So I did. That was always the style. It was versus, the style. Versus now, like send it online, email, whoa. Yeah, versus now, basically, which is everything online. Exactly. Yeah. So,、uh, so I, I decided to take the chance. And so a couple of weeks later, I got called for the interview, did the interview, a couple of weeks later, got so, hired. So, wait, wait. So you went in, you brought in your CV? Yes, I did. Your I, resume. Who did. did. Who did you meet at that time? I met the secretary. So,、uh, so, okay. I, so it was a totally、um, different organization. It was on Decary for、mm-hmm. NDG. What was the name? It was called Valorisateur Ecologique. Valorisateur Ecologique. Okay. So, I met the secretary and we had a nice chat. And so, a couple of weeks later, I was hired. And she said to me, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you know why you were hired. And she said, Because when I met you, when you dropped off your CV, you seemed really nice and I wanted to work with you. That's it. That's it. I mean, of course, I had the qualifications. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. But, 
based on everybody else who didn't show up to bring in their CV, she didn't have that opportunity to see if she might want to work with yeah, them. Yeah, a face-to-face encounter. So I don't know if this is worth sharing with the youth out there or other people who might be looking for jobs, but I think that maybe even though we still do everything online, yeah, I think yeah. maybe sometimes that personal touch can make that difference. Yeah, doing that extra step. I think so. Yeah. I was quite surprised. (laughs) So I got my dream job. So what most people don't know is that I started in May 2007 for Mm -hmm. Valorisateur Ecologique. Mm -hmm. I had the contract for a year and a half, and then I was bidding against Prevention, Côte de Neige, NDG for the contract because the borough decided that there was too many eco-quartiers in NDG. They just wanted one. Okay. So I was in direct competition with Terry and her team. Okay. Super stressful for me. Oh, yeah. How could you imagine? So before anything happened, Terry has so much class. Terry, Bill, and Al invited me to lunch. And they said, Nikki, look, if you get the contract, we're super and, happy and, for you. And before we get into that, how did you meet them? How so, Were you guys in contact already doing the same type of work? or? or? So Bill and I had the same job, but for two different echo quartiers. Okay. So when we'd go to meetings, Bill and I would see each other. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew who he was, and then he introduced me to Terry and his boss. Uh, Terry also invited me to do a kiosk for my organization at Hip Hop, which was her event. Yeah. So very, very fluid in terms of working together in the neighborhood, which I always thought was really classy. Cool. Yeah. All right. Keep going. Sorry. So, no problem. <laughs> so they invited me to lunch, and they said, if you get the contract, we're very happy for you. If we get the contract, we'd like you in- to invite you to come and work for us. And I stared at them blankly. I thought, are you guys crazy? Are you crazy? (laughs) Who's this nice? Basically, either way, I win. That's amazing. How is this so cool? So so I lost the contract. I tried for a month to work from home for the organization that I was working for, for Valorisateur Ecologique. But I found it really, really challenging to work alone at home, to not have that contact with the neighborhood. And what was your job working at home? Like, what was your... I was supposed to be fundraising. Okay, fundraising. To try and... Because we didn't have the Echo Quartier contract, we needed a new contract in order to continue the business and continue the activities that we were working on. Mm -hmm. So I found it very challenging. So I was very happy to take Terry's offer. sure, and you were alone. Like, no team, no... Nothing. Alone in my house. Oh, wow. Okay. So I found it rough. Yeah, definitely. So December 1st, 2008... I was hired by Prev and I was never trained. I walked right in and from the first day just took over and Bill stepped down to give me his job. Okay. And how did that process go? Was it, did you have to, to, to do an interview or did they know already? They knew already. Yeah. No interview. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. One yeah. of those. Very cool mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Let's talk about how is it during summer? I find summer really exciting. I have to say it's crazy and I Mm. work a lot of overtime, but I love seeing the summer students who come. They are so passionate. They bring so much energy. And at the same time, the residents kind of wake up too. the residents realize, oh, yeah, I want to make my space nicer. I want some flowers. I want some compost. Mm -hmm. Mm, I should clean up my gallery. And and then pe- there's moving season. That's a big one also because For people sure. start to realize, oh, oh my goodness, my house is packed with junk yeah, I don't yeah, need. Yeah. Uh, and in the don't need category, there's a few things. There's toxic items. So we have days where we try to have people realize that if you're 
going through your house and you have batteries, you have paint, you have compact fluorescent light bulbs. Yeah, that's, that's There's dangerous. There's a yeah. lot of stuff in the house that we have that is quite poisonous that needs to be disposed of in a really special way. Mm-hmm. So we encourage people to always make sure that they go to the echo center or they go back to stores that take back these things. Yeah. In the past, we used to hear about people pouring paint down the sink or something like that, trying to yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the I, way I, to go. I think I think I did that probably a couple of years back when I first moved we, to like my first apartment. We probably all have, yeah. but I didn't know I did exactly, yeah. and that's part of Echo Cats's role mm-hmm. to let people know what their options are. Because if if you can't figure it out, you might think pouring it down the sink is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of that. The other thing about moving is that many people have extra items they don't want, and so um, of course we have people in need. We have Salvation Army, we have Renaissance, we have all sorts of these organizations that take back your items. For sure. Um, in some cases, these, these stores, they hire people, they give them skills, they teach them all sorts of things. So it's a really great system for people to get rid of their stuff, for people to buy things that are already on the market, for people to get trained. So we're always trying to encourage people to think about this reuse that's possible. Mm-hmm. The trouble with moving season is that sometimes people are not organized ahead of time. And so on the Never. day they're moving, they're starting Never. to yeah, exactly. panic about this stuff. And so we often see huge piles of stuff on moving day. And that's really discouraging on the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's really discouraging because you look at things and you say, that's a beautiful table. Why is it in the garbage? And I don't have a car, so I walk by the table and I can't get it to my house. So. Yeah. We encourage people on those days, you know, think about if you can't even do that, think about some of the online services. There's Craigslist, there's Kijiji, where you can even post stuff outside my house, come and get it for free. For sure. And so a little bit. on the sidewalk. Exactly. That day, that time. That's it. And a little bit of organization means that people who are struggling might be able to get things that they need for free or for reduced prices. Things aren't going in the garbage. We're not going to contributing to greenhouse gases there's just mm-hmm. there's just such a cycle okay at the in also during the summer we have summer camp of course so we usually have a summer camp animator so that employee will go to the summer camps and do all sorts of workshops with kids we try to be very conscious of the fact that kids are sitting in school all year long at a desk being yeah, very nice yeah. and and quiet and sweet so in the (laughs) summer we try and make them run around during our activities but always having that environmental focus okay so that learning isn't painful during the summer it's more of a a play game kind of style but you'll still be learning those things underneath we usually do a tour to go visit all the businesses in ndg once a year to go see that they have recycling bins they understand their responsibility about taking back toxic things that they sell do all sorts of things like that We also will have a horticultural student. So uh, in the neighborhood, we have different projects uh, at the St. Thomas Church on Rosedale and Summerlake. Wait, can can you say that? A what student? Horticultural student. Okay, I cannot pronounce that word. So we'll we'll keep going. (laughs) And that means? It's usually a person who's an expert in plants. Okay. Okay. So that student will work um, at the St. Thomas Church. There's the pollinator garden. So the Mm -hmm. pollinator garden has... Not special plants, but plants that uh, have really showy, beautiful flowers that attract bees, butterflies, and other pollinators. And so what happens is those little insects, they come, they come to our flowers, they get covered with pollen, and then they they spread that pollen around. What's good for the neighborhood is that 
that garden is next to a garden from the NDG Food Depot. And so because those little creatures are doing their magic in that garden, that food garden actually has a bigger production than all the other gardens that the Food Depot has. Because of those Because bugs. of those bugs. Yeah. So I think that's really fun to see that kind of relationship that we can grow more food for people because we're promoting these little bugs that are doing their good thing. It also makes some beautiful flowers, which is (laughs) always nice. Um, Also, there's a very interesting project that is not ours, but we're partners with, with Transition NDG. On Summerled, there's two spaces. One is outside the Metro grocery store and one is at the fire station. They are gardens that are grown by volunteers and they have herbs and vegetables and things like that for people just to take as they're walking along, they can just take what they want. And so uh, our students will help with that project. Also, we will plant flowers in front of uh, seniors residences, all sorts of things like that. And we're going to have a school supplies project. That's going to be a really big deal. That will be our fifth year of school supplies. When I was in high school, I used to watch the last day of school. Every kid would basically pull the garbage oh up God. to their locker and yeah. dump everything in the garbage. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, reflecting on this as an adult, I thought this is. But ridiculous. think about it: the school was always okay with it. Too. Always, yeah, they never yeah. have any problem. They would make sure to tell you: make sure that your locker is clean. Make sure you take out everything. Otherwise, we'll throw them out regardless. So, yeah. But now that I'm I older, I remember that little message. I, I think about all the families that struggle when it's back to school time and yeah. suddenly they have to buy $150 worth of school supplies. Oh, I was one of them. And yeah. in some families, it starts to be a question, do we buy groceries or do we buy school supplies? Yeah. If you're really living on the edge and that should never be a choice somebody should have to make. So what we started doing was we work with a bunch of the schools in NEG. Most of them are really, really into it. And we give them boxes, empty boxes, and we tell them, you know, just have the students fill them up. So the students go through their own stuff and they decide what they don't want to keep. So we end up with hundreds of pounds of pens, highlighters, For erasers, sure. I could imagine. Yeah. everything you can imagine. And so we collect it all. We bring it back to Echo. We have a day where we invite about 20 volunteers to come and clean everything so that if a child had gastro or whatever, it's not going to be transferred. Yeah. So we clean everything and we repackage it so that, you know, you have all the colors of the rainbow in your pencil case again, instead of having That's strange, so cool. odd colors. Yeah. And um, through the years, our program is getting a little bit better known. So now we're working with the CLSC, we're working with some of the schools, we're working with some of the organizations that we know to try and identify some of those families that could really use yeah, this in help need. in mm. need. So uh, I think that now we have seven families who are coming back year after year for the program. And I suspect that it's going to be more families coming up. That's awesome. Like truly awesome. The other thing that's cool is that we can bring some of the extra school supplies to the schools. And then if a child who's not been identified but arrives at the school without anything, they have a place to go look for things that they could use and, and be in the school like everybody else. Of course, we're trying to encourage these kids to actually keep their own school supplies to use for next year. Yeah. Some kids do, but of course, some of us just like those shiny new pencils at the beginning of the year, and we can't think of any other paradigm to do. So we're trying to reduce the garbage and have a a good thing for the families on the other end also. That's amazing, Nikki. Doing a great job. Thank you, Carl. Like, wow. I have a really good team at Echo Captains. Oh, man. Like I, I, I were colleagues and I didn't know, like I knew 
but didn't does that make sense like the extent of it like it's it's a lot you you guys do a lot we do a lot but the difference for us is that we have a team so that's mm-hmm. super important and the borough requires that we have at least 2000 volunteer hours a year okay so we have volunteers of every type we have kids who have to do community service for school we have people who have committed very small crimes who need to do a couple of hours for the government. We have um, seniors who are retired who want to give back. We have university students who want them to learn new things. We have interns who want to practice speaking English. So we have so much help in many of our projects that it lightens the load. It feels better. It feels like somebody's there with you and you're not just schlepping all this stuff on your own and trying to figure out how to get it done. It's 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 great to have all that support with us to realize all these projects. Okay, summer, we talked about different projects. We talked about you as a person, how you got into the environment, basically. Um, how about future plans? What do you envision for Echo? What's like the next step you would like to see Echo take? Or yourself, maybe? Um, In terms of ECHO, we are definitely following the City of Montreal plan because they're the ones who fund the program across the City of Montreal. So it's always them who sets our mandates. But there's a little bit of flexibility within that mandate. So like I said, in NDG, we have people who are real keen environmentalists. Mm -hmm. So it it forces me to reflect a little bit differently. Um, What I'm seeing right now is that the borough has launched in the last couple of years the Food Waste Collection Program. So the people who are excited are participating. The people who don't want to know anything about it are not participating. Because it's not mandatory, that's a bit of a challenge. So I think for the next couple of years, we're definitely working on increasing the participation in the food waste collection. Yeah. We're trying to get people to get over this ick factor. People tell me, oh, it's so gross. I can't stand it. A whole bunch of arguments. But what I always tell people is there's nothing new in your garbage. The fact that you're putting your food separate from the rest of the garbage did not make new food in your garbage. You're still eating whatever you were eating before. Whether you put it in your black garbage bin or you put it in your food waste bin, Mm -hmm. it really makes no difference for you. It makes a big difference for the planet because every time you put food in landfill, it does not decompose as people think it does. It actually creates methane gas, which is a horrible greenhouse gas. So the more food we can take out of the garbage, the more we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. I've been composting for the last 20 years. I started with worms in my kitchen, which was very, very easy. We have them at Echo Cartier. And uh, I think it's very fun to show people worm composting because some people panic. Just seeing worms makes them absolutely freak out. I used to go fishing. They're not that bad. Exactly. They never bite. Yeah. yeah. So... (laughs) So I think that as we teach people about different types of composting, I'm hoping that we can move forward so that um, food waste collection and compost becomes as natural as recycling is for most people. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. That was it. I'm going to the depth.